Good evening, my name's Jono. If we've not met, it's nice to meet you now. Uh, and we're going to get in, we're going to continue our series uh, on the topic of salvation tonight, uh, particularly looking at adoption. But uh, let me pray for us now and then we'll get into it. Let's pray together. Father, you say in your word to us that your word itself is like a mighty hammer that dashes rocks to pieces and yet it is sweeter than honeycomb. And so we pray, Lord, that tonight your word would be both of those things to us. Father, would it please break our hearts afresh to see your goodness and your love and your mercy to us and I pray that it would prove to be a feast. I pray that you'd help us to delight in the things we see of you in your word tonight, to treasure them, to capture us by them. I pray that it would cause us to see your love all the more for us displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that it would overflow into lives that bring you glory. Amen. Well, you're hanging out online. Uh, You see something that you know you want to buy. Maybe the Instagram algorithm's got the better of you again and you're like left going, maybe I do want this thing. Maybe I do need a, a, projector, a projector that sits in the, like the size of my hand that can put a movie outside or, or maybe I do need a, a shark-resistant wetsuit or whatever it is. That, that it, gets, it gets you. What do you do? Where do you turn to when that happens? You turn to unboxing videos on YouTube. Have you guys, who's seen an unboxing video on YouTube? Be honest, who's looked one? Okay, good, all right. Uh, This is literally people filming themselves opening the thing that they've just bought. So they're like, hey, this is me, I'm just going to open the new iPhone 16 here and I'm taking the plastic off and it's got a nice matte finish, which is good. doesn't come with a charger for the environment, so you're going to have to buy one from Amazon and get it shipped to you. And so they, they open this package, they do their thing and you watch it and you're like, yeah... I do need this, I don't need this, you work out what you're going to do. You want to know if you buy it, what do you do? You want to know what's in the box. Well, here's the thing, tonight we're asking that question of Christianity. What's in the box? What do you get if you become a Christian? If you are a Christian, what's in the box? Now, last week we saw, as Hazy worked through the topic of justification, we saw how to become a Christian, the way to God that guilty sinners who cannot come to God on their own can come to God for forgiveness and be made right with Him, justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 5 was the verse, however, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. By God's grace, He offers us this free gift of justification right with God. Jesus' death on the cross is treated as ours, by faith we grab hold of it, salvation is yours. Now, last week, Hazy rightly said that there's nothing more urgent, more important, more significant than to be justified before God. Justification is the the foundation, it's the centre of the Christian faith, it's crucial. But here's the question I do want to ask, is it the highest blessing that you can have as a Christian? Is it the best thing about coming to Jesus? I actually want to suggest, as Hazy hinted at last week actually, no. (laughs) So justification is the foundation of every blessing that flows in the Christian life. Without justification, you could not know God. But if I was to put it this way, it's as if last week we, we made the purchase, justification. We saw that the cost is paid by Jesus. 
Well, tonight we're going to see what's in the box. (laughs) What do you get when you come to this God? And the answer I want to suggest is even more amazing than justification, as incredible as that is. Because what you get is adoption. Adoption to sonship, taken in now as a child of God. And I want to say that is the highest blessing, the, the greatest, most momentous privilege in the Christian life. It's, it's the great prize, the great treasure that is now yours to enjoy if you're one who's in Christ. Now, I wonder if you're a Christian, I wonder if you've ever felt like this as you live the Christian life. You say, I know I should be a Christian because if I'm honest, I really don't want to go to hell. I need forgiveness But you think to yourself, but if I'm really honest, you don't say this, but you think it, I'd probably be happier, better off even, if I didn't have to worry about all this Christian stuff. Don't want to go to hell, want to be forgiven, but it's a a bit annoying. Jesus is this true but inconvenient truth. I wonder if you've maybe thought of a softer version of that where you say, I'm a Christian because it's the right thing to do. I know who God is, I know that it's true, I know what He wants and so I just need to do it because that's, I have to, it's it's the right thing to do. Friends, the things we're going to see tonight in God's Word will flip that on its head, turn that thought upside down. If you've ever felt that way, it's because you've not fully understood the Christian faith. You might have understood the the legal process of adopt, uh, justification, forgiveness of sins, no longer guilty, sin paid for, but you cannot have understood the depths of the privilege of this incredible thing of knowing God as your Father, adoption into His family. This is a quote from J.I. Packer, Hazy actually quoted him last week talking about justification, but here he is on adoption and he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, ask them how much thought they have of being God's child, of having God as Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers, their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the distinctly Christian name for God. They're good thoughts, aren't they? Now, if those some of those words are a bit big, some of those thoughts are a bit too lofty for you, maybe this other quote will help you, this is another great thinker of our time, he says, without family, you've got nothing. I don't have friends, I've got family. What's real is family. Does anyone know who that is? That's Vin Diesel from Fast and the Furious, yeah. Um, (laughs) But in all seriousness, Vin Diesel, along with J.I. Packer, two very similar people, have got it right. Being in the family of God is everything. Being God's child really is everything. The Christian joy, the Christian treasure is the feast of being brought into God's family. This reality is at the very centre of the Christian life. And so, friends, if you truly understand the things that God has for you in His Word tonight, if you drink them in, take them into your heart, you'll see that Christianity is so much more than escaping hell, forgiveness, just scraping by. Instead, the Christian life will be seen, will be felt, will be experienced as a feast, as a joy, as a privilege, the most wonderful of relationships to be enjoyed. 
And so what's in the box? What do you get when you come to Jesus? What does adoption bring? Well, here's the first thing, you get a new identity, new identity. Now, we're going to jump around a bunch in the Bible tonight and look at a whole bunch of passages, Uh, but first of all, come to John chapter 1 with me and see our new identity described there, John chapter 1, this remarkable title, this is who you are. If you're a Christian, John, lots of the verses will be on the screen as well, but come in your Bibles when, when you can. John chapter 1, verse 12, here's our identity. Yet to all who did receive Him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Children of God. There is the bold claim. That is who you are if you're a Christian. And notice it's not a privilege that's just anyone's, whether they like it or not, it's a privilege for those who believe in Jesus, who have faith in Him, trust in Him. So, last week we saw that faith is the thing that brings justification through Jesus, but it's also faith in Jesus that brings about our adoption into His family as well. But friends, if you're a Christian, this is who you are. (laughs) This is who you are, a child of God through faith in His Son, Jesus. This is your right, this is your privilege, this is your identity. Now, I wonder, how do you see yourself? You know, when people say, who are you? How how do you explain who you are to a person? What is it that defines who you are? I'm sure there's a whole bunch of parts that make up who you are, but what's the heading, what's the title page What's at the core of your identity? Well, if you're a Christian, it should be this. Who are you? I'm a dearly loved child of God. But I wonder how often are we finding our identity in all sorts of other places? So we need to let go of those other places where we look for our identity and find it again here, child of God. And so let go of finding your identity in being the best at something, being, being the one who achieves, being the one who's smarter than other people or being the one that's in this or that subculture or, or defining who you are based off your gender or your sexuality, finding your identity in your career, in your degree, in your marks, in your boyfriend, in your girlfriend, in your sport, in your hobbies, in, in your looks, whatever it is, all that stuff will actually let you down. It's a very fragile thing to pin your identity to, to say, who am I? I'm the whatever person. Just imagine for a second with me, imagine a guy growing up here on the Central Coast. Imagine a a teenage guy grow up on the coast um, and through his teenage years, he works out he's actually really good at rugby. In fact, he's the best rugby player under 18s on the coast. Captain, you know, best try record, all that kind of stuff. He's not delusional, this is who he is, I'm the best rugby player on the coast. And that becomes his identity. Who are you? I'm the best footy player on the coast. But it doesn't take much to undo all of that, does it? One bad tackle and his ACL gets busted in half, one trip to Sydney to see a team who's better than him and that's, who am I now? I've been beaten, my my career's ruined, my knee's stuffed and so his identity, it crumbles. I'm not the best anymore. So who am I if I'm not the best rugby player? And so that same guy, he goes to uni and he says, I'm going to become a doctor and I'm going to be a really good doctor. And so he goes hard at uni, tops his class, everyone looks after him and he becomes a very good doctor. 
People respect him and it's working, they love him. Who am I? Well, I'm an excellent doctor, is how this man would describe himself. But what happens when crippling anxiety sets in and ruins his ability to be that same doctor? When his own mental health plummets and he can't function and he he burns out. I, I can't be that doctor anymore, who am I? How do I define myself at that point? And so the years roll on and he starts a family and he has these kids and who am I? I'm dad, I'm the best dad there is and it's all about my kids, my identity is I'm the best dad in the world. But what happens when those kids go off the rails and become crazy punks or or even if they just grow up and don't need that much from him anymore, who am I? Do you see how fragile and fleeting all these other substitutes for our identity are? None of them can bear the weight for being at the centre of who you are if you're going to define yourself by anything other than Jesus. Eventually, it'll break or change or leave and you'll be left going, well, who am I? But having your identity as child of God, that's never going to fail. It's never going to slip away or fade or it's secure. It's an unchanging reality of who you are not because of the things you do, but because of what Jesus has done, because of who He's made you to be, adopted into the family of God. And so as we push on in this this topic tonight, you're going to see that this is a thing that can actually hold the weight of placing your identity there. (laughs) This is a thing that can hold the weight because nothing is more amazing, more better than this privilege. And so why does it stand up? Let's, let's push on. Why is it such an amazing thing to be a child of God? Here's the second thing. If you're a child of God, you get a new relationship. You get a new relationship, yes, with other Christians, brothers and sisters, but more than that, more amazing than that, you get a relationship with the God of the universe. He becomes your Father God. Now, have a look at this verse up on the screen here. This is Galatians chapter 4. It says, Because you are His sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, that's not talking about a pop band from the 70s. Abba is an Aramaic word and it's the word for the personal name for a father. It's it's almost like saying, Dad. We are those who call God Father or even perhaps Dad. You, You have that sort of relationship with the God of the universe. That is astounding. Now, I think the magnitude of this is actually lost on us because in our world today, we've domesticated God. We've turned Him into a friendly Labrador or something like that. That's what we've done to God. He's always there for us. He's our pal. He's in the background. He's ready to play fetch if we get bored and want to hang out. But if God's just a friendly puppy dog, well, then why not go ahead and think of Him as your Father, God as well? It's not a big deal, right? But that is not who God is. The Bible paints a very different picture of our God. If you look at the Old Testament, the name that God's people are given to call God by is Yahweh, the Lord God, the the King. That's what Israel were told to call God. And in fact, Isaiah chapter 6 captures this really well for us. Isaiah has this vision of God in the temple and he sees a vision of God and the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
And in Isaiah's vision, he's, he's confronted with this holy God and his own sin and he's flawed. <laughs> he hits the deck face down. I'm ruined, he cries out. I'm a sinner. How can I come near this God? Friends, this is reality. This is who God is. And yet because of what Jesus has done, because of our justification and the adoption to sonship that follows, the great scandal... <laughs> of the Christian faith is that we can now call that God Father. If a Jew read these words, their eyes would be popping out of their head. What do you mean you call God Father? How dare you? The one who's the all-consuming fire, the judge of the living and the dead, the one who rules all things, the roaring lion, in an absurd twist, we get to call that God Father God. Do you see how amazing that is? You catch the grandeur of that. Now, I said earlier that God is not a Labrador. Now, let me very, be very, very clear. God's not any type of dog, just by the way. This is just an illustration. But I do want to suggest God is more like my friend Tiff's dog, Bear. Now, Tiff's here tonight. She's 20-something years old. But when she was little, she grew up with this dog in her backyard, Bear. And he was a terrifying German shepherd. He was... A scary, scary dog. If someone came around to her house unannounced, Bear was, he, he, would, he would scare you to death. I used to have to drop some stuff from church around Tiff's house when I was um, younger and, and just turning up in the dark to drop a truck off there, he'd bark and it was almost enough to make you wet your pants. Occasionally some poor delivery guy would make his way into their backyard and wouldn't know that it was Bear's yard and he would drop people like a sack of potatoes. He'd pin them to the ground and they'd just be plain dead until her dad came over to call off Bear. Terrifying animal, right? But here's the thing, Bear was like impeccably trained. If an intruder or a mailman or me came into the yard, big trouble. But little 10-year-old Tiff, well, she could wander into Bear's yard and give him a cuddle and have a play with him, no problem at all, not a big deal at all. She could waltz into Bear's yard, zero fear, and play happily with him. Now, here's the thing you need to catch about who God is. God is both the fierce, all-consuming fire who should rightly be feared, but to us, He is also the one that we can approach as a child does, a loving father. With the confidence that Tiff did as she wandered into Bear's yard. Don't turn God into a Labrador. That's ridiculous. He's a holy, consuming fire. Yet, drink in this truth, drink it in deeply. If you are in Christ... He's your Father God. He's for you. You can approach Him without fear, with confidence, delight in this relationship with Him. And so if indeed we can call the Holy God of the universe Father, well, here's a few implications, some big implications of that. First of all, we can have confidence of God's love. Check out on the screen, 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Does God love you? Does God love you? Well, if He loved you to send His Son when you were His enemy, how much more will He love me today, now that I'm His child? Tomorrow, you will always be His beloved child. As a perfect father loves their child perfectly, so our God loves us. 
So there's no questions, no ifs, no buts, no, no nothing. God loves you. Never, if you're a Christian, never again doubt God's love for you. It's secure, it's unchanging, it's, it's unstoppable. Which brings about this incredible stability in all of life, doesn't it? If this is true for you, what, what wonderful stability and security does it bring? There's this new documentary up on Netflix at the moment called Beckham. Has anyone seen it? A few of you, that's good. Uh, it's about David Beckham and as, as he grows up, his soccer career, all that. But his dad, right, David's dad, his dad loved two things. He really, really loved soccer and he loved his kid, David. He was a huge fan. He was his biggest fan. He had 1,300 hours of footage of his kid playing soccer as he grew up. His dad was this amazing, constant support and love. He was his biggest fan. Now, the doco covers Beckham's whole career, the amazing highs as he becomes a hero of England, great at soccer, but also this huge low point when he cost England the World Cup. He stuffs it and everyone turns on him. His coach chucks him under the bus. The, the nation turns on him. Everyone's hating on him. Wherever he goes, people are just giving it to him. Huge pressures. And they ask him, how did you cope with all this hatred from your own fans, from your own country? And his answer was, was quite amazing. All he ever wanted to do was please his dad. And he was only ever playing soccer in one sense because he wanted to do it for his dad. He didn't care what the next person at the next press conference thought or anyone else as long as his dad was happy. And he knew that he was. He knew that his dad loved him and it was this constant. It didn't evaporate based on his performance in the next game. How much more the comfort and the constant of the love of our Father God for us. He loves you. You're his child. (laughs) What else do you need? (laughs) You have everything if you have that. But we have more than that still, because secondly, we can have confidence to approach God. I alluded to this with that illustration with with the bear, dog, Uh, but Ephesians chapter 3, check this out, in Jesus and through faith in Him, we, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We're justified, we're adopted as His children and so you can have this wonderful assurance as you draw near to this God. You have nothing to fear from Him if you're His child. And it's not just on your good days. It's not just when you feel like you're killing it as a Christian and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. On your worst days, on your down and out days, on your most sinful moments, still again and again and again, you can draw near to your Father God. You can approach Him confidently when you're at your worst. And third, if all that's true, it also means we can have great confidence in prayer. Now, when Jesus turned up and he taught, he taught a whole bunch of outrageous things that surprised a lot of people, but one of the most outrageous things he did is he taught us how to pray. The start of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Let me teach you how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The Lord's Prayer, he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. The original hearers of that piece of teaching uh, would have seemed outrageous. The Jews would never have dared pray, our Father in heaven. As as Jared Packer said, that's a distinctly Christian way to pray. And so, friends, every time when you sit down to pray before a meal, you say, our Father God, and you give thanks for the food, as those lips come off your mouth, as those words come off your lips... (laughs) 
Hope your lips stay on your mouth. If not, examine what you've cooked. Um, as those words come off your lips, remember the amazing thing that you get to do as you come to God and pray to Him as your Father God. Sit down in the morning and open the Bible and pray. What a privilege to come to this God like that. Now, throughout Matthew 6 and 7, Jesus continues to teach about prayer and He spells out why it's such a good thing that we can pray to this God. In fact, come to Matthew chapter 7 and have a look at this with me. Come to Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 9. It's on the screen, uh, but you can look as you go. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? (laughs) Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? (laughs) It's this funny picture, isn't it, of like a kid being like, hey, dad, can I have some bread? And he's like, take a rock instead. You know, do you want a fish? Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to give you a snake. Like, that's no dad behaves like that, right? He says it, verse 11, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Even the worst dudes on earth, they, they know how to good give, stuff, good, give good stuff to their children. How much more our perfect heavenly Father? If you need bread, He's not going to give you a rock. He delights to give good gifts to His, cho- to his children. Now, you need to realise, you've got to catch this, Sometimes we might pray for the easy road to happen, but God in His wisdom knows that what we actually need is the hard road. God's wisdom about how to best answer our prayers surpasses our wisdom to pray for what we should, what's best. But when, when push comes to shove, see who your God is. It's talking to your Father who loves you, who delights to give good gifts and it's coming to Him and talking to Him and asking Him for things. Do you see the privilege of prayer? I can sometimes as Christians, we, we think about prayer as this discipline that I should get better at. You know, my prayer life really sucks at the moment and I, I wish it was better. But do you see how nuts that is in the first place to, to think like that, to get to that point? Okay, ma- you know, imagine saying, oh man, it's Christmas time. Oh, it's the worst. You know, I'd have to take a bunch of time off work and eat amazing food and sit down on the couch and relax and enjoy some sports. It's going to be really hard, but I'm going to be disciplined and do my best to do Christmas time. Like, it's, it's, that's not how to think about it. It's crazy. It's, it, it's, a, it's a treasure. It's a feast. It, it's not a chore. And so tuck in and enjoy the good thing that prayer is. It's a privilege. That's the reality of Christian prayer. Now, I take it, if you've been following, all of this sounds pretty wonderful. (laughs) I hope you're hearing this saying, that sounds pretty good. Justified freely as a gift and now adopted into God's family, called His children and none of that because of anything I do. How good! (laughs) Now, I wonder if you hear all of this, I wonder if it does raise a question for you. In fact, it did raise a question for some of you at Life on Monday night. I got to chat about this with some of you if you're there. If all of this is a free gift of God, justified freely, now His children, nothing of me, all from God, not based on what I do, well then why aren't Christians just the biggest rascals in the world, the worst and craziest sinners who just cut loose and do whatever we want because no consequences, who cares, right? Why don't Christians just go nuts and sin like there's no tomorrow? Well, here it is, being a child of God, being adopted into His family produces a new way of living. 
Now, whenever you join a family, whenever you join into a family, you, you do join into the family vibes. You kind of start to fit in and do what they do. If you ever get married, this will happen with you and your in-laws. You join this family and you're like, okay, I'm new here, what do we do? And you sit down at the table and they're like, let's say thanks for dinner, let's, let's say grace. And then all these adults are holding hands around the table, you're like, I guess we're all going to hold hands now, okay. And it, that, that stuff will happen or you'll, you'll go to sing happy birthday before you blow the candles out instead of after or something like that and you're like, I guess I'm just going to fit in and do what they do because that's what we do in this family. Well, joining God's family, it becomes the critical lens through which we learn how to live the Christian life. You're in God's family, so now you're going to live out the family likeness. Now, Jesus taught this. Have a look up on the screen again, Mark chapter 3, Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus's family, God's family, do God's will. They obey Him. Paul taught the same thing, Ephesians chapter 5, see it up on the screen again, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You're doing this as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up, himself up for us. As God's children, behave this way. Live out who you are as a child of God. You're in the family. Conform to the family likeness. Now, Paul teaches a whole bunch of other drivers for why Christians should live the way we do in a way that's holy and pleasing to God. Paul talks about our union with Christ, Paul talks about the Spirit of God now in us, Paul talks about the reality that we're dead to sin and so alive to God. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why Christians are to live in a way that pleases God, um, Paul, but, but Paul does pick up on this one, the family one. But for the Apostle John, this was the dominant one that we are in the family of God. John writes his gospel, John's gospel, and he also writes three letters in the New Testament. And again and again and again, the primary reason why Christians live the way they do in love and obedience is because they are God's children. You're God's children. So live like that's the case. In, in fact, see this with me. Come over to 1 John chapter 3. I'm sorry for all the flicking. If you get tired, be lazy and look on the screen. That'll be fine. But come to, to 1 John chapter 3 with me. And we'll see John teach this same thing here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We read this earlier. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So there's the bombshell. Here's who you are, children of God. Skip down to halfway through verse 2. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. So, there's the holy living in a way that pleases God. We're going to be like our brother, Jesus. But skip down to now verse 9 and you'll see it most clearly there. Look at verse 9. 1 John 3 verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. They can't continue in sin because they're a child of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And so, do you see it there? Our identity as children of God, brothers of Jesus, it must result in a changed life. 
It's who we are now that we're in the family of God. We must bear the family resemblance. It's it's just reality. But get this, you have to catch this. Do not miss this. You are not behaving your way into becoming a child of God. You are a child of God if you're in Christ and so now live that way. Not the reverse of that. Don't get it crossed up. So you just take it a simple example from just human parents for a second. Um, imagine a good parent, if you can imagine your own, and if that's not been your experience, imagine the perfect parent, right? Uh, would that parent say to their kids, you know, kid, because you've obeyed me so well, because you've loved your brothers and sisters this week really well, because you've listened to me when I said clean your room, you're doing a great job of living as my child, so you can be my child now. I'm going to love you now because you've done a really good job. Well done. The reward is you get to be my child. <laughs> no. no. No parent, no good parent is going to talk like that to their kid. Not, that sort of love will not change a child's heart. Instead, again and again, it's the reverse of that. Child, I love you. <laughs> you are my child. You don't have to earn it. And so live in a way that pleases me. I love you. Live in a way that... Love your brother and sister. Listen to your mum and dad. Not because I'm not going to love you until you do, but because I do love you and you are already mine. That's never going to change. Do you see the difference? Christian love and obedience will always flow from the secure position of being a loved child of God. Not the other way around. You do not obey your way into God's family. But now that that incredible privilege is yours, well, how could you not want to live to please your heavenly Father? And so, friends, if you do find yourself in the place of of saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I just, I don't want to obey God. Not, not it's hard to obey God. I just, I want, I don't want to do what He says. I don't want God in charge of me. I will not love the Christians around me. Well, I think if you find yourself in that place of saying, I want to be a Christian, but that's how I feel about God and, and His people, well, I don't think the answer is work harder at trying to obey God such that you can earn your way into His family. Instead, I reckon you want to ask the deeper question, <laughs> am I truly a child of God at all? If I want nothing to do with His rule and His people... Am I a child of God is the question you should be asking. Or more subtly, perhaps, am I losing sight of my true identity as a child of God? And so my desire to live for Him, it's draining away as well. But the solution isn't try harder to obey your way back into God's love. Come to Christ. If you've drifted from Christ, come back to Christ. Throw yourself on His mercy and by faith in Him, find assurance, justification and remind yourself that you are an adopted child of God. And so continue to live to please the One who has loved you so. It's such a joy. That sort of Christian living, it's not a chore, it's hard at times, but it's, but it's a privilege. It's a pleasure, it's a joy. Living to please my Heavenly Father. So, friends, do you see the treasures that are ours if you're a child of God, adopted as His own, new identity, new relationship, new way of living? 
And finally, lastly, but not least of all, if you're God's child, you have a future, a new future inheritance. Come over to our Bible reading in Romans chapter 8, which was read for us earlier by Max. Romans chapter 8, and pick it up, just one verse, verse 17. We've been reflecting all night on this reality that we are children of God. Well, here in this passage, Paul takes that reality and says, okay, well, if we're children of God, let's take that one step further. What else does that mean? And it says, chapter 8, verse 17, now, if we are children, step one, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. If we're children of God, that makes us heirs, people who are going to inherit something in the future. And by the time Elon Musk dies, if he has any children, they're going to inherit billions of dollars and unlimited Starlink internet and probably a bunch of disgruntled Twitter employees and a Tesla cyborg army or whatever they got going on by then, uh, when, when I die, my kids are going to get one third of a house in Springfield and a little bit of a Mitsubishi Pajero. <laughs> Who your father is determines the reality of your inheritance. What do God's children get? Well, it says it there in verse 17, we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. God's children get everything that Jesus gets because we're now His brothers and sisters, which does mean, notice, suffering with Christ now. We just sung about that in a song that we, just a minute earlier, it means suffering with Christ now, but it means a share in Jesus' glory in heaven. And friends, there is no greater thing, no higher reward than that. One day, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, will receive His kingdom in its fullness from His Father. All glory on earth will be His, all honour and power, all of that given over to Jesus, and Jesus, our brother, is splitting that inheritance with us. Amazing. Now, catch this, it's not in some mathematical sense such that Jesus needs to equally divide his glory up by the percentages of the number of Christians as if he's losing his glory or something. No, no, no. In an overflowing sense such that what is Jesus's is now ours, we will share in his glory. All that is his will be ours. Now, if that all sounds kind of intangible and hard to to comprehend this kind of fluffy, disembodied picture of heaven or something like that, think again, Whatever experience this is, it's describing a physical embodied experience of a new creation. Skip down to verse 23, the end of our reading tonight, chapter 8, verse 23. It says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the full experience of that adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies... That's talking about the resurrection, the new creation where in a bodily sense we will go to be with Jesus our brother and God our Father, our future inheritance in heaven will take place in a physical redeemed creation, in a physical body as we share in Jesus' glory. Now what form will that share of Jesus' glory take? What will it mean to share His glory? What will we be experiencing, you know, money and status and, I don't know, power, what's the greatest treasure that awaits us in heaven? 
Well, think about it this way. What's the best thing that you can picture in this life? Isn't it true that the finest things that this life has to offer is relationships? Is it not? If if you've had the experience of a good family, what would you not give up in order to keep that family? Or if you found that person you want to be with, whatever, or a good group of friends, is there anything that you wouldn't trade to keep those relationships? Your job, your house, your money, whatever, all of that, you'd lose it for the relationships in life that you treasure, yeah? Now, that reality of relationships, it's instinctively true for us just here on earth. Well, so it will be in heaven. The greatest privilege to be enjoyed, the greatest glory we will receive will be relationship, commendation from our Heavenly Father, being face-to-face with Him and having Him say, well done, I'm pleased with you, His pleasure in us, His delight in us, that'll be our glory, the wonderful thing that we share with our brother Jesus. We'll be face-to-face with God, heaven will be a family reunion, a family gathering, The reality of being with our brother Jesus and our Father God, that's what makes heaven heaven, It's God, the experience of being with Him. And friends, wonderfully, we even get to enjoy that same treasure and live it out now, if in a shadow sense, even now. We're not face-to-face with God in the fullness of what that means, but even so, as you get out of bed tomorrow morning, remember who you are. Say to yourself tomorrow when you get out of bed, who am I? (laughs) I'm a child of God. These are J.I. Packer's words, I'm a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day that's one day nearer. My Saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother and sister also. Remember your identity, remember who you are, remind yourself of the privilege of that reality, the great treasure of the Christian life. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for the riches of what it means to be included in Christ, for our justification, our sin paid for, peace with you, but so much more than that, Lord, that we now have relationship with you. Father, would the things that we've seen in your word tonight be our delight? Would they be the very things that we would see as being the very centre of who we are? I pray that we'd have a clear picture of our identity in Christ as your child. I pray that it would shape the way we live, that we would please our Heavenly Father by our love for one another and our obedience to you. And help us, Lord, to wait patiently as we look forward to that moment where we will be with you face to face. What delight, what wonder at that day. Amen.